Welcome to the Everything Podcast, the place for everything education. Whether you're a first-year teacher or a seasoned educator, our mission is to help others employ smart strategies in and out of the classroom. We firmly believe that teacher burnout isn't inevitable. Part inspiration and part implementation, we discuss the why and how to make your classroom effective and sustainable. We're your hosts, Danielle and Nicole. You're listening to the Everything Podcast, podcast episode four. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Nicole. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. How is the beginning of the second month of school treating you? Can't believe it's already October, but I'm feeling good about it. Uh, I've already We've already gotten to our homecoming part of the year, so I think mm-hmm. students are starting to really grasp that they are, in fact, in it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it takes no more, them some time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no more excuses. The first few days of school, they are truly, truly in it. So right. nice to be able to participate in some of the homecoming events that we had at school this weekend. That's excellent. Yeah, I think uh, for a lot of students, they start the year a little bit in denial that summer is over. And it's once we see a change in the weather, we have those kind of standard fall events that they realize like, yep, this is real. <laughs> Got to get down to it and be a student now. So that probably means that you've had your first quizzes and tests, yes? I have, I have. And that definitely helps remind us about all the fun that goes along with giving an assessment in the classroom, which has a lot to do with timing, one of our favorite topics. Yeah, without a doubt. One of those things that I think a lot of people don't realize, we hear so much about how it's so valuable, our instructional time, make the most of every minute in class, bell to bell instruction, all of those kinds of things. And I think that sometimes we take for granted that those minutes after a quiz or test can be really, really useful. So much of the time, you know, we have an idea of how long an assessment should take. We have some sort of time frame in our head, and depending on the schedule that you have at your school, you're working with block scheduling or not, you're really thinking, okay, my students have this much time, what can I do to leverage what's left? And a lot of the time it kind of falls off because there are students who are needing more time, students that need extended time. Maybe they're going to different locations to take their assessments. And it's really easy to fall into the trap of not using that time wisely. So we really want to make sure that we're clear about how to prepare for the very next task that students will work on and help prevent the early finishers from chatting with their neighbors, especially while others are still taking their assessments, trying our best to make the most of that extra time we have in the classroom. Yeah, when we don't have something lined up for students to do immediately, I think that is when things start going off the rails, whether you intended for them to or not. I think a lot of us start thinking that, you know, the students, they were working really hard. So I'm sure they have some other homework assignment or something like that to be working on. And unless you physically are handing them a piece of paper, they are not going to take that option. You're going to have a line of eight kids who all need to go to their locker to get that piece of homework, or they want to uh, ask to go to the bathroom just because they just want to be out of the room. And we want to avoid that completely. Yes. I remember in my early years of teaching, I would try and be strategic. Oh, I'll give the quiz in the last 20 minutes of class so that I won't have any what we call lame duck lesson time. Right. And in doing so, I really hurt the kids. There were so many students who were struggling for time. They were stressed out. I put this added pressure on them. I immediately regretted it and quickly learned my lesson that it's not the right way to go about it. Instead, 
you have to make sure that everyone has enough time to complete the task effectively, make sure that you're giving them that service, but also figure out how you as the educator can make the most of that. And as you mentioned, Danielle, you definitely do not want students getting up, moving around, trying to get other resources that they might need. So definitely a great point there. And thanks for sharing that particular story, because it does. It's one of those things that it comes from such a good place, right? You want to make sure that you're setting the students up for success. You're using all that time wisely, but maybe it's not exactly what the students need with a little bit more experience that teachers can manage that time a little bit better. So what do you think is some of the great criteria for after a quiz or a test? I think that, in my opinion, the most important criteria is that it's something that students can do with what they've already got. Um, so even if students for your class use a textbook on some days, but they only bring it on some days, I wouldn't assign any work out of the book. I want to make sure 100% that there is no reason that a student wants to ask to leave the room or to go to their locker. So I even take it one step further. I try to make my classroom pretty paperless, but if we're talking about stuff to do after a quiz or a test, I really want that physical handout so that way they can't say, oh, but I don't have my notebook. Oh, but I don't have something to write with. So I think that the first standard that the after quiz, after test work should meet is that it can be completed with just what students have on hand. I completely agree. I really made an effort to move a lot of my assessments onto the computer. We have a one-to-one -one ratio at our school where students are able to use a tablet in class. And in doing so, I give a lot of my assessments on that tablet. But as you know, Danielle, working in a high school setting, cheating is always a concern. And really for any any level, I assume, is, is going to be somewhat of a concern. We want to make sure that we provide students with the material that they need in order to complete whatever task it is after the assessment that does not involve a device. And I know from my own experience that, oh, okay, they just completed the assessment on the device. Now I'm going to give them another type of practice on the device. Mm -hmm. And it's really it come back to bite me. Whether you have the option to lock students' screens or not, that is an additional security measure, but it can't always be secured. And you just really want to do your best to make sure that the way in which you use this time is the best option for you. I love that you pointed that out because I think limiting the technology is such an important piece of making sure that the after quiz or after test work time is for the best. Even though students might not have thought about it going into the test, they didn't think that they were going to cheat, it's right there, it is so tempting. So even if you know that students are going to have their iPads with them, their uh, Chromebook, whatever it is, I would say having paper, certainly better in this particular situation. I know this one in particular really just hurts both of us so much because we love using technology in the classroom. Right. So to dissuade teachers from using that after, it's just, it hurts really, it does, but it's mm -hmm. something I think you're really going to be thinking yourself down the line. Right. And I think that it is also the type of thing that, again, teachers who might have a little bit less experience would want to use the technology right after the quiz or a test because you might have a school subscription to some really good kind of self-paced websites and that seems like an ideal use of time and in theory it is but in practice not so much. <laughs> so the second great piece of criteria for after quiz or test work is that students should be able to complete this task independently. So, of course, students just to complete an exam, you're not going to encourage them to work with someone. We know that. But 
what we're trying to say is that whatever the task that you want students to complete, of course, you're not assigning it as a group project or a partner work activity, but it's something that should be completely doable for students on their own and helping to alleviate additional questions that you can continue monitoring your assessment takers. You want to make sure that the task that students are given has clear directions, right, clear instructions for students in order to limit any potential confusion or additional distraction. If the task is too difficult, students may immediately feel discouraged, which you never want. They may give up on the assignment and then cause problems in the classroom, which of course was never the intention to start. So giving students too many options is likely to result in that type of confusion and frustration that you never wanted in the first place. Right. I think that when it comes to giving them this independent work that they're doing, obviously making sure that the directions are really clear is a great first step. I really like to use directions that students are already familiar with. So if you can repeat the same kind of thing that you've done in class before, that can also cut down on a lot of the questions that could come up that now you don't have to go around and deal with. And the idea that you want to make sure that it is absolutely doable. This should not be like the biggest challenge of the day, completing that task, because our goal is to make sure that they're doing something useful, but also to make sure that it is something totally within their wheelhouse so that way they do stay on task. And that's why handing them a piece of paper, having exactly what the assignment is clearly written, having students have a little bit of experience with that type of assignment, all ways to keep them 100% on track. And while I know both of us love to give students options, this is not one of those times. In a language classroom, I always give students directions in the target language. That's always mm -hmm. the case. For situations like this where I need students to be 100% quiet and I cannot deal with what is mean case significant, I can't, mm -hmm. can't have it. So right. I'll put directions in Spanish and I'll put them in English. And I don't love that I have to do that, but it's something that limits the amount of distractions and noise that I have. And in my experience using that, it's been very helpful. Yeah, I think that that makes so much sense. So I like that you pointed out the added kind of layer that you have in terms of clarity with instruction in these particular cases. And I think that brings us to our fourth criteria, which is no filler assignments. Students pick up on these. You'd be surprised. You know, you think, okay, I'm going to give them something that in some regard has relation to what we've been learning and maybe it's a little silly or it's a little fun or maybe it's something that's totally unrelated that just happens to be within your subject area. Students mm -hmm. pick up on these things and it's so important that you recognize that as well. So when students see absolutely no relation between the assignment and the upcoming unit or some other larger curricular goal, they get it, they figure it out, and they're so much more likely to sit back and not complete it. Yeah, I try to, as I'm handing out the quiz, if there is maybe like a bubble sheet or something that the students are not really paying that much attention to, they're just filling out their name on the top. I'm explaining what the upcoming assignment is that they're going to receive as soon as they turn it in, so that way they have some context. Sometimes it's not even something that we think of as filler, but because the students don't know where you're headed next, they don't realize that it's not filler. Uh, so in my English classroom, if we just completed a unit on one genre or one type of author, and then this very next thing has nothing to do with that, they might think it was just something I randomly like ran off right before class started, 
little do they know that that's the next thing that we're going to be studying. So sometimes it's a matter of just explaining how that is going to relate, if that's the intention, because it's getting them ready for that next upcoming unit. Or maybe it's just explaining to them how it has connected to something they've done in the past, which they might not put those pieces together. I liked that earlier you mentioned that the activity that you have students do should be something that they're somewhat familiar with. In completing something that has a connection to a previous topic or even skill, that's another way to help remind students, wow, I've seen this before, this is valuable, and it's worthwhile. Absolutely. And that brings us to our fifth criteria, which is make sure that you're assigning a task that students have enough bandwidth that they can actually effectively work on the task. In this case, um, you may have done things like a five paragraph essay in class within that time limit before or any sort of task that is a little bit more challenging for them to do. You know that they're capable of it, but this might not be the time for that Mm -hmm. particular assignment. Agreed, agreed. But you also don't want to lean too far to the other side where it's something that's silly or wasting time. You want to make sure that you're not at the filler assignment level where all they're doing is a word search for authors' names, for example, because that's not going to be reinforcing anything. That's not going to be creating any sort of new skill. But you want to make sure that what you assign them after the quiz or test isn't harder than the quiz or the test. (laughs) Yes, agreed, agreed. And again, sensing that idea how much time will this take the student? I've had the experience where I thought that the after task was something very doable and it turned out to run into the homework assignment. And then the next day in class, it caused even more issues where I had to address, well, what was the idea here? What was this question asking? And that ended up turning into an issue, which was never the intention at all. So trying to make sure that something is extremely doable for students has relevancy and allows for them to work on it within that time frame is of the utmost importance. Yeah, that was a a great recap. And I would say that I would err on the side of caution, especially with how difficult the work would be on the particular day of the quiz or test, because I don't know about you, but I found students to be extra sleepy on the days that I assign quizzes or tests because perhaps they're not the best at time management yet and they did stay up late trying to make sure that they know all of those terms and they're just not 100% in it after the quiz or the test. We have the same students, Danielle, because it sounds very familiar. (laughs) Um, Just like we want to avoid students who are just opting to not complete the assignment or they're trying to just leave the room, we also want to avoid having students try to just take a nap after the quiz or the test. And by making sure it's something that they have enough mental prowess in order to achieve, having that type of task is is going to be critical. Thank you so much for that. Do you have any tips for us as far as what you do in your classroom for after a quiz or test? I do. Um, one of the things that, especially in an English classroom, I think is really, really useful is to have an anticipation guide before the upcoming unit. So that means that students are kind of evaluating where they already stand on a bunch of topics. Sometimes it allows them to do some free writing on themes that are going to be important. I'll have them read a little bit of the bio for the upcoming author, and then they're going to use the anticipation guide, the information about that author's life to make 
strategic predictions about what's going to happen. So even though they had no background in what's going to happen in class tomorrow before I gave them that handout, they're now completely 100% ready to go for our upcoming unit. So that's one of the things that I really like to do. Do you have an assignment that's kind of your go-to? Yeah, so I work with a lot of introductory level students, meaning it's their first experience with the language. And I like to do I can statements or yo puedo statements, which allows for them to take that ownership for what they in fact can or maybe cannot do based on what we've just learned. So in completing a summative assessment, I like to give them this type of I can statement. It's actually usually a series of about 20 statements, ranging 20 to 30 statements. And I have them sort of fill out this type of checklist. And along with that, they have different the reflection activities. I can describe my family, right? And then they're mm-hmm. able to give an example of that. And then there's even an extension practice on, tacked on top of that. So it gives them that kind of reflection opportunity that Otherwise, I don't know that we necessarily have time for. And it also gives students an opportunity to write me a note when they respond, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. And it gives me a sense of, okay, well, the student's lacking in these areas or they've self-identified as lacking in these areas. And in collecting that, it gives me a sense of who I might need to um, work with one-on-one or maybe how I might need to strategize to change my next topic in order to fill that, that gap. I really like that with both of our examples of what to do after a summative assessment, the important post-quiz, post-test work was either looking backwards as a reflection or looking forward to exactly what's going to be coming down the pipeline. So that way it's so clearly tied back to the unit, to the curricular goals, to what you're doing. So that way students are never worried that it's some type of filler assignment. Yeah. Even if you're not ready to maybe do one of those types of things, there are ways to have kind of generic practice that's still relevant no matter what discipline that you're in. I think that in these, you know, post-quiz, post-test minutes, it's a great time to give students some sort of like cumulative review packet, especially if you know that your school does midterms or finals that cover a large section of the textbook, having students practice things that they're already familiar with, that they've been doing for a long time, but it may have been back in their mind for a little bit. But if they do that type of work after many quizzes and tests, it won't seem like such a shock when that type of testing comes up. I also like that we both try and use the time that we have in a strategic way that maybe we wouldn't normally use that 20 minutes. Because we have that time, we're trying to use it in a way that will advance our students. I really like the way that Cult of Pedagogy addresses what to do on lame duck school days. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has a series of so many different items and preps and different ways that you can use even icebreaker activities if you really can't use any type of academic material on those days whether it's after a standardized test or any type of assessment that students just simply cannot use their brains (laughs) yeah she gives a lot of options and along with that it's how to really strategize to use that time in a way that allows for student reflection and for student advancement in a way that maybe you wouldn't normally do during regularly scheduled class time. Right. And it is okay to give yourself that type of permission to do an activity that they wouldn't typically do that still has merit without a doubt. 
I think that the last kind of bonus tip is to make sure that whatever that assignment is, whether it's looking backwards, whether it's looking forwards, whether it is a packet of SAT or ACT prep questions for your discipline, anything like that, I would make sure that it is time sensitive when you assign it. Mm -hmm. As I alluded to before, it can really run awry when you just don't know exactly how much time something is going to take. So if you have a true understanding of what this type of after quiz or test step can be, you really need to be able to put some type of parameter on that in order to motivate students the right way and also to make sure that you are able to assess it if it needs to be assessed. Yeah, if it looks like it's too much, the student is just going to stuff it immediately in their backpack, put their head down on their desk and not do it. So it should be something that the student feels like they can actually do within the time that's remaining. And for students who do take the entire time on the assessment, I like to assign it for homework. So it shouldn't take longer than that night's homework already would have. Perfect. All right, Danielle, I think that just about wraps it up. I think so too. And I hope this leads you to some ideas of how to wrap up class time when you have a quiz or a test and people who finish much earlier than other students. I think it really will. Thank you so much. Thank you too. I can't wait till next time. Me too. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about us and the services that we offer, head to everything.com.